Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Get all your shit moved into your house yet? Uh, all the stuff's here. Now we're in the process of, like, unpacking. Oh. That's not Char just, Char just got here today, so. Yeah. Was she sad to walk out of her job? I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> Has anyone ever been sad to quit a job? Um, no. I was. I was a little sad leaving uh, the last bank, but yeah, you didn't really quit so much as got fired indirectly. Well, no. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I'm 90% sure they would have kept me, but they would have kept me in like a dead end position. That would have been no good. Oh, really? I thought the deal was that when the merger went through, you would have probably lost your job. No, they were like refusing to tell us, which is what was irritating me. They like made no attempt. And then at the very last minute, they were like, oh, we desperately need BSA people. And I was like, cool. You could have said that six months ago and probably kept an employee. Yeah, it's almost like if you manage people properly, they'll stay in their jobs and work harder. Right. Yeah, that's dumb. But, I mean, moving got me a lot more money, more responsibility, all that kind of stuff. So, Closer to your stepdaughter, which makes it a lot easier. Right. In general, for life. I don't know if I told you guys, but there's actually a chance she's getting moved to another facility and it's going to be in. <laughs> is it down by Springfield? Because that yeah, would be that really blocks from the old house. <laughs> no, no, it's actually in Boiling Brook, which is really close to my house here. Oh, so it'd be even closer. And my my job that I've been working at, they just told us that we're moving to another office. And that office is literally a mile away from the house I bought. So. I'm, I'm like two minutes away from work. That's awesome. I could be both good and bad. Commuting sucks though. It does. It's true. You live by Bolingbrook, huh? Like maybe 30, 40 minutes. Oh yeah. That's not bad. So you're pretty much going to be a galloping ghost every weekend. You know what? I've I've actually keep planning on it. I'm like, Ooh, I'm gonna go go to the ghost. But I think the ghost is actually a little bit further for some reason. Because I think it's on the other side. Doesn't matter. It's still a lot closer than what you were. 
Yeah. And I've been doing some research and apparently they're all like, you know, I got to drive 45 minutes to get to all of them. But there's a bunch of cool little like niche theaters in the area. So I'm kind of excited to go check those out. Uh, Since Doug's not local, he doesn't know. But uh, Galloping Ghost is like an arcade. The biggest yeah. arcade. Oh, okay. Yeah, it is fucking huge with every arcade machine you could think of. But it's one of those things where you pay like $25 and you can come and go all day, and play as many games as you want. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And they, they added a great big pinball section, and I haven't been back since they added their pinball section. Nice. Um, so how are you guys doing? Good. I'm trying to think of how to segue pinball into what we're doing this week, but it's possible. Hey, you know that boring clown game that was the most boring fucking arcade <laughs> game of all time? Speaking of that, Sure. I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. We're doing Nepo Nepo Baby movies this week, as picked by Doug. Nepotism movies from from two, all both from 2012 too. It's a double theme. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Get angry. No, that part was an accident. I didn't know oh. they from both from 2012 until like <laughs> when I was looking them up while I watched them. <laughs> uh. All right, well, uh, Noah, do you want to tell us about uh, antiviral? You said a bitch. Yep, you knew I was going that direction. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Spoiler <laughs> alert as to what Noah thinks of this movie. It's way more Some interesting. Some of us may have been hearing it. about it all week. <laughs> I know. So the movie, it's just a fucking allegory about celebrity worship i mean it's it's fucking it's about as ham-fisted and i don't it doesn't have a fucking plot there's no fucking plot to this movie it's silly there, there is a plot people people have become obsessed with celebrities to the point where they're now selling the celebrities diseases so that you can be sick the way that the celebrity you like is sick and our main character is works for that company and is also a disease smuggler who steals diseases and then unpatents them so that he can resell them. Uh, He ends up getting a disease from the basically famous chick who's the focal point of the movie. It turns out that that disease is going to be lethal and kill her. Uh, And it's just a bunch. It's just he gets treated like shit for I don't know, five, five fucking days of movie time. I don't know. I can't remember how long this fucking movie is. Uh, (laughs) And and then the ending isn't like a twist or anything. It's just like a stupid fucking everything's just the exact same way it was ending. I don't know. The second this movie started with like a blank white wall, with two men dressed mostly in gray, having a monotone conversation, I was fucking livid. I was like, it's going to be one of these stupid fucking movies 
that's just a film school crap shit thing where they pretend to be clever and it's all just fucking dumb. And I was right. Well, I mean, don't sugarcoat it. How did you really feel about this movie? Yeah, I don't know why you're beating around the bush like this. <laughs> uh, so Noah's not a fan. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm not a huge fan either. I don't know if I hate it nearly as much as Noah does. I I think the thing I'm the most frustrated about is that it was so it was so outrageously boring that I kept falling asleep. Like the first time I watched it, I think I fell asleep about five times in 30 minutes and finally got frustrated and was like, fine, I'll watch it later. So I shut it off and came back to it later and started watching it and fell asleep again because it was so boring. So I stopped watching it and came back to it. And I ended up having to come back to it four different times to get it watched, which made it feel like I had to watch this movie four times. (laughs) Uh, What did you think of it, Doug? Um, I'm not as critical as you guys are. I think it is. Um, I mean, when Noah said ham fisted, yeah, that's a valid criticism of the film. It is certainly, uh, it feels like you can tell it's somebody's first time filmmaker filmmaking and they have an idea and it's not necessarily fleshed out enough, but they had, they have an, they have a general idea for a plot and then they have some good visuals in mind some like gross out visuals and they decided they can make a whole movie out of that. So it does uh, drag a little, I would say I'd say that's fair. Um, but I think overall, like, yes, it is a art housey student film type movie where everything is sort of on a tone and that's the style they're going for, which I think is what set Noah off. I think it's done well, though, if you're interested in that type of a film. I think it is. It's one of those things that that every time they do it, you can tell that the director thinks that it's clever and original, even though it's been done 500 fucking times. Yeah, I don't know if it's it's certainly not original in in the the style. Um, Maybe it's original in that idea of them injecting diseases and cloning celebrity meat to sell at butcher shops and stuff. You know, all that stuff that's in the opening parts of the film where we're establishing the world where you, I I know I remember the first time watching this being like pretty grossed out at the idea that they were like making steaks out of cloned celebrities and just people were like lining up to get them because that celebrity was sick and in the news a lot that week kind of thing. I was going to say the the one redeeming thing about the film is the body horror stuff. When it's dealing with body horror, I'm into it. The problem is in a movie that should be completely about body horror it's not (laughs) no the body horror is especially in the first half it's almost non-existent in the second half it becomes a lot more prevalent when he's like getting really sick and coughing up blood everywhere and stuff and he's locked in that room at one point for a while and just bleeding all over himself and it works there i think one of the problems with this film is that it's Obviously, the main purpose of the film is the social commentary about people becoming obsessed with celebrity. And when you think back to 2012, that was like an important message that it felt like a good thing to be saying in a film. It's weird how much the world has changed in the like 11 years since this film came out. 
where now our obsession seems to be all around politics and shit rather than celebrity fascination of that sort of the 2000s where like you remember how much people like Paris Hilton were famous for existing and stuff like that. We've, we've moved away from that as a society. So the film acts less of a punch because it's less relevant today than it was when it came out. Yeah. I don't know. See, this is Brian's in the middle on the film, so he's having a little bit of trouble. No, like, I think there's aspects of the film that work really well. The whole um, disease stuff is interesting. The obsession with celebrities is interesting. As, uh, uh, as Noah pointed out, sort of the idea of cloning celebrity stakes has an interesting twist to it. I, I was going to say, I think that should have been the film as, as much as like the disease idea is a, a fine idea for a film. I actually think this weird pseudo cannibalism of essentially homegrown celebrity tumors cut into steaks <laughs> is just fascinating. That's that's the one that I was like, that is a good uh, sci-fi horror film right there. Mm-hmm. It felt a little bit like some of that stuff too was like glossed over almost like as if they wanted to get to the plot. Um, but plot isn't the interesting part of the film. The interesting part of the film is this world that you could explore where, you know, where it is all about the, the grossness of this celebrity, this, this new, this, sci-fi version of celebrity worship that they're doing or it's like yeah like that's the interesting part of the movie and they kind of move past it a little too quickly because they want to get into this weird plot point about him getting the the illness and trying to move the story along which is less interesting than than the world itself which i think that's an interesting story too it's just the plot that they used for it like I wasn't really into like yeah, the story we, is story is he steals her disease. Doesn't realize it's a, uh, like a deadly one. Like she ends up dying from it after he contracts it already. And then he's like, Oh fuck. He has to try to figure out how to like cure it or whatever. I feel like that is an interesting story. But the version they went with in this movie becomes very uninteresting when they, do all the reveals and whatnot. I mean, when you've got Malcolm McDowell showing up to chew up some scenery for a little while and your movie's still fucking boring, <laughs> you, you fucked up. Well, again, I didn't find the movie boring. I think it, I understand that the style isn't going to be for everybody, but I didn't, it didn't bother me. I enjoyed it. Um, it was more the, I say it was, it, it felt like the, the plot either needed a lot more going on or a lot less going on, if that makes sense. When you got into like the details of how, um, like, you, like you get into the details of, well, somebody was trying to kill her and injected her with the thing and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't need that. It'd be more interesting to just see him trying to almost like a thriller where he's trying to figure out how to get this disease out of him without, getting caught by the people who's stealing it from and stuff like that. 
that probably would have been more interesting plot wise, I think. Yeah. I think another thing that this film suffers from is the name recognition of the filmmaker. Um, if you, if somebody came to you and was like, here's somebody you've never heard of, and this is their first time making a movie and they dropped this in front of you, I think you'd be a lot more forgiving of it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think if you handed this to me and told me that it was a student film, I would go, oh, this person's going to be a very good uh, episode director for TV. Okay. And, and make, it, make professional movies, <laughs> which uh, is funny because they've gone on to make good movies. So I can't, I guess I can't shit on them too hard, yeah. but this, this film does not inspire confidence. I, I think the thing you need to get your head around though, is just the idea that, okay, the style of filmmaking isn't for you. You know, like you say, you, you gave up on it two minutes in and, and Lord knows we've watched some movies in this podcast where I've done that. And it's like, okay, if, you were never going to like this. And I sort of knew that when I, when I, when I, you know, picked it last week. You like, son oh, of a bitch. That's <laughs> <laughs> not why I picked it. It's just, but I mean, it is, um. It, it is a particular style and I can, I can understand why if you're not interested in that style, you would immediately be turned off. It's slow. It's, um, a, a lot of the people speak very monotonally. Her lead character is effectively sick through the entire movie. So it's kind of a, a weird dynamic where he's like just hunched over and mumbling a lot of the time. Well, and there's this, this, sort of dark satire thing that they go for that I just the the humor I don't if you if you guys ever seen like the visioneers or any of those films no but I know what you're talking about yeah like they're all the same fucking thing where they're like oh look the dark future isn't this hilarious and you're like no it's not like <laughs> It's not funny. What you're doing isn't funny. I know you think it's funny. But there's like two assholes wearing turtlenecks fucking that work in an Apple store that think this movie is fucking amazing. All right. Well, I don't go to the Apple store, so I won't comment on that. But <laughs> um, I don't know. I see. OK, nothing in this movie is laugh out loud funny. I think we can all agree to that. But I think some of the satire works on that sort of like subdued, subtle level where you're just like, oh, I see what they're doing there. You know, obviously you were able to pick up on it, even though you didn't enjoy it. I mean, it's so, hard not to pick up on. <laughs> like I said, so I subdued is a fine word for this, but subtle is never the word for it. Does that make sense? <laughs> Fair enough. They don't. They're so overt with all of their metaphors that you're like, wow, you didn't make any attempt. It, also, it reminds me of the movie Mother that I also hated, where I was like, oh, you're just you're just an asshole who thinks that they're smart by doing this. Uh, and that's, that's actually a fair comparable. And I probably liked Mother more than you did, too. 
Um, I will say, Noah, that don't let this one uh, deter you from watching his next movie, Possessor, because I think you would actually really like Possessor, probably. It's, I've heard good things about Possessor, and what's what's the other one? Infinity Pool? Infinity Pool, I really liked it. I really liked Infinity Pool, too. Uh, I'm going to probably say maybe Noah is not going to enjoy it. That, that would, I would go 50-50 on that one. Yeah. It's, but I, re- I really think you would like the sci-fi aspect of Possessor. If my opinion holds any sway whatsoever. We'll see. I'm not, I'm not opposed to seeing it. I just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Having this be the first one's probably not the best way to go. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the first one. It was the first one for me, too, and when it was over, I was like, oh, I really didn't like that whatsoever. I'm surprised how harsh you are, Brian, considering you liked um, Infinity Pool so much. Yeah, I, like I said, I think there's some interesting ideas, but I just think that he got them wrong. Yeah, he but I think if you, if you say you saw Infinity Pool first and then you're like, oh, I'd like to see what this filmmaker did before and you go, I'll go back and watch that first film of him it's his that most people haven't seen and you watch this you'd it'd be interesting from that perspective of oh you can see how he's building as a filmmaker to get to infinity pool which is objectively i think a better film it's a better made film it you know doesn't yeah. rely so much on the uh i don't know on the style of that of the, this film does yeah i don't know i feel like uh infinity pool i enjoyed throughout um i feel like this the themes are not that much different it's commenting on just one percent assholes pretty much infinity pool um i feel like but you don't 100 percent get what the theme is until kind of go through the whole journey Whereas then, like, I think like Noah said, like this movie is not subtle about what it's talking about. Within the first five minutes, you're like, oh, okay, that's what this movie is about. Kind of know. Like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty clear. Yeah. So. Whereas then Possessor, you just watch and be like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, like I wonder if this movie would have been better had they like opened with him injecting himself with this disease that he's taken from this person but not understanding why and then gradually give us the reveal that he works at a place where you're selling this stuff and you know i don't know if that would have worked or not that's an interesting idea yeah Yeah, i don't know i I feel like if it would have just taken so that you know there's like four or five different random ideas of a film that are in this and if they would have just picked one of them it made an hour and a half film out of that. I can be down with it. So you wanted less plot? No, I wanted more focus. Okay. It's just once once again, this movie. It, it the the thing I hate about this movie is that it's smelling its own farts, and that's all this film is. <laughs> and it keeps going. Oh, <laughs> and now we have this clever idea, and it's like fuck you. I mean, I definitely think that there's a, an arrogance to the filmmaker that comes through. 
and and that's where I think when you when you refer to it as a student film or an art house house film, I think that that's where that's coming from is this idea that it's obviously somebody who's decided he's going to be a filmmaker and he's going to do something and he's you know rather than what a lot of first time filmmakers are, which is guys who could just scrape together a budget so they're putting some like low level slasher out just because that's what they can do. Yeah. I mean, like, like the nepotism's in full effect on this. Like, there are interviews with Brandon Cronenberg where he openly is just like, yeah, like, I got to use, like, my dad's casting director and stuff because that's what you get when you're the kid of somebody who's famous and you want to work in the same industry and you're like, at least he's acknowledging it kind of thing. But it right. definitely, um, yeah, it definitely feels like uh, if this, again, for a first-time filmmaker, maybe isn't supposed to have this many options in front of them as far as what they're doing. You're supposed to grow into making a movie of this size and of this complexity, and therefore maybe you would be able to do it better and it would feel more focused. That's a good point. Maybe if he uh, if he would have made like maybe two films before this, maybe yeah, this one would have ended up coming out better. Maybe it's it's like the reverse of uh, George Lucas syndrome, where <laughs> you can't you can't give George Lucas freedom in a budget because he'll just crank out fucking garbage. <laughs> but you, if you have well, people if you have people standing over his shoulder yelling at him, he makes genius work. And I mean, I guess I'm, uh, it's not really the reverse. What I'm saying is, yeah, Brandon Cronenberg needed he needed time to grow. He needed to not be given so much opportunity so early in order to be able to grow into the type of person who could actually make this movie. Right. I, I meant the reverse is in the timeline because George Lucas yeah. started out like as an ambush filmmaker and ended yeah. up making high budget crap. And, and this oh, director started off making crap that had too big of a budget <laughs> and has apparently grown into a decent filmmaker. <laughs> or at least if Brian Cronenberg had to do what Lucas did, which was completely con a movie studio and to bang for a movie that they didn't greenlight. Yeah. Everybody should have to learn how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's still my favorite story. <laughs> So this is like the most varied our opinions could possibly be on this movie. It sounds like we've got like a, a yay and a and a meh all across the board. <laughs> or is there, or would you, am, am I be, am I giving the film too much credit from your perspective, Brian? Would you rather be a two nays? No. Um, I, I don't know. I don't even know if I'm really super negative on it. I'm just, I know I'm not positive on it. There's definitely a lot of problems that I have with it. But again, movies we've watched for this show, this isn't even like the worst. But oh no, it's and like I'd I'd rather watch something like this where. So I guess the comparable would be Hardcore Henry, right? That's 
the last thing we watched where there's like, here's a director who just has an idea and then let's see if we can make a whole movie out of that idea, you know? Um, and I'd rather watch something like this where it's somebody trying to make a piece of art and maybe not nailing it perfectly versus something like that, which felt so much like a product. I will give you, I will give you the point of this. I think this movie is better than hardcore Henry. It certainly gives you fewer headaches as you watch it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like this movie clearly had a script. Like dialogue. (laughs) It definitely had a script. And I feel like you could tell that there's a director there insisting that everybody say each line exactly like how he wants it said, which is again, possibly a, a criticism of the film where maybe if, a more confident experienced director would have been able to let those actors do different things. And therefore they would have seemed like more differentiated characters rather than all speaking in that same kind of monotone way. Uh, I think, I think what we're getting to with this conversation is that I kind of like pretentious art house crap. Noah hates it. Brian sometimes likes it and sometimes doesn't. And <laughs> this movie is clearly fits into that category. So our reactions are exactly what you would predict. I, I would say I like I like art house crap as long as they keep their uh, pretentiousness in check. Yeah, but then it wouldn't really be art house crap. Right. <laughs> I mean, what's the point of being pretentious if you can't see it and feel it through the screen? <laughs> if you don't if you don't know the directors standing up in the film box touching himself to his own movie (laughs) we don't know for a fact that that happened so which would you hate more Noah pretentious art house crap going to the theater to see pretentious art house crap and having to deal with the people that were in the theater enjoying the pretentious art house crap. Oh, that sounds worse. <laughs> Although I think, I think we learned my feelings on that many before this podcast ever started. Cause we went to the old, uh, DZ film festival and <laughs> me and fat kids reaction to coyote was not friendly. <laughs> and that director was there. yeah to be fair though you said you you guys said you didn't know he was there till after the movie was over we did not (laughs) we were not kind uh but he had a good time so that's all that matter that guy how dare he (laughs) The bitterness that you have towards this artist for producing his art and putting it out there in the world to see just because you didn't happen to enjoy it. No, no, I think there's the the thing that is the worst that, that like pushes me way over the edge is whenever I watch it and I can tell that they they clearly know how to make a film. Right. They have actors that are putting in good performances. They understand like the framing and the visuals and all that. And they choose to use those powers for fucking pretentious evil. 
I mean, that guy even did the whole thing where he goes, well, you know, it's not supposed to make sense. It's about subverting expectations. And fuck you. (laughs) (sighs) I would have loved to see the look on your face when he said that. (laughs) (laughs) You really miss out. uh... Oh, what the fuck was the name of the movie? We did a double or deadly double features and it was like attack of the vineyard zombies or something. I don't know. Uh, tainted wine turns people into zombies. That's essentially what the movie was. And the, uh, director decided to fly himself out to attend the screening <laughs> as much as we told him not to do. Be <laughs> like, there will be 15 people here. Uh, I told him, like, there will be, I can't guarantee you more than 20 people will be there. Um, people, the the way these things are set up, people kind of make fun of the movies. And every movie is up up for grabs. We watch people skewer Night of the Living Dead, so don't, don't take it personally. And uh, whatever. And he's like, so you're saying I probably won't make enough money because he's going to sell DVDs, too. I probably won't make enough money to uh, make make my ticket my airline ticket money back people are going to make fun of my movie and uh you know whatever else he's like hmm sounds like a great weekend to me and he flew out anyway (laughs) (laughs) so we hung out with him had dinner and then uh movie started we usually just sat in the lobby because we all had seen these movies already and then i just go in and check make sure everything was running all right every once in a while he was in the theater with everybody watching it. And I'm like, oh, man, I wonder how, how much he's getting roasted. So I walked into the theater and just heard somebody yelling at the movie. Turns out it was the director. He was yelling at his own movie, making fun of it the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Respect see, that. See, yeah. and the funny thing is, me and that dude, we could be best friends. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, I think he sold like a DVD to everybody that was there because he was having such a good time. So, worked. Nice. Uh, all right. So, we have anything else to say about antiviral? No, I think I've complained enough. I, I think, yeah, like it's it's a pretentious art house film with some body horror thrown in at the end, and a heavy-handed message about um, celebrity worship and how it can go too far. But then again, like I say, I think that message is a bit outdated now because now instead of worshiping celebrities, somehow we've gone to this full thing where it's like if you talk to young people now, they worship randos on YouTube and TikTok and wherever else. So they're literally the opposite of celebrities. They're like, no, no, we've chosen to worship these people who are not celebrities. (laughs) Uh, It's a weird piece of news. For our between movies uh, section, uh, and this only really applies to me. Apparently, Will Ferrell was in Peoria today. It's random. Okay, I've been scrolling through Facebook and see people from town like posting pictures of them hanging out with him. And apparently, he was just at the he's either right now or was just at the local karaoke bar. And apparently was singing karaoke with everybody. All right. 
I don't. It's, I don't that know what's going like on. So much fun, right? I want to sing karaoke with Will Ferrell. Like I hate karaoke, but if I knew he was down there, I would have canceled doing the show and went down to hanging out with Will Ferrell at the karaoke bar all night. But come on, Will, you're rich enough. Buy everybody a drink. I just keep saying that to him constantly. <laughs> he would get so mad. Brian comes back next week with the story of getting punched by Will Ferrell. Like, How did that happen? <laughs> it was amazing. Best night of my life. <sighs> All right. Uh, Doug, do you want to tell us about uh, Chained? Chained? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's a, a mom and a son. They're at the movies. They come out. They're going to to get a cab home. But Vincent D'Onofrio is the cab driver, which if you ever need a reason not to get in a cab, <laughs> Vincent D'Onofrio is the cab driver. Yep. Nope. Um, Say, so I'll walk. I'll walk home. Yeah. So naturally, yep. it Have turns 911 out. pulled up on your cell phone, ready to dial just in case. Yep. It, in one of the least surprising twists ever, it turns out Vincent D'Onofrio is a bad guy in this movie. Um, so he takes them back to his home and he murders the mom and chains up the kid and basically announces to the kid like you're my servant now I keep you around so that you can help me out around here and everything from cleaning the house to like scrapbooking and putting together like the news stories about the women that he's killed yeah you're gonna do all the grunt work of my serial killing <laughs> it's pretty funny um cut to several years later this is still going on. The kid is still there now. Supposed to be what seventeen ish, I would say. Um, and Supposedly, from what I've read, it's supposed to have been ten years have passed. Okay. And he was kidnapped when he was nine. All right, so it was close. Yeah, it's not a huge difference, but yep. just since I read that the director has specifically said, so figure I'd chime in. All right. So yeah, so at this point. Vincent D'Onofrio has decided that in addition to the grunt work, he's actually going to let the kid, he's basically going to try to teach him to kind of like become a serial killer like him. And the kid doesn't, doesn't really want to be a serial killer because a lot of us don't. When you think about it, at a young age, you're rebellious. Your father figure tells you to be a serial killer. You're just automatically against it. Um, so suddenly you want to be a pastor. It's like, um, yeah, so there's some tension there. It ends up being that when he, the kid basically um, pretends to kill a woman and then um, they team up and kill Vincent D'Onofrio after Vincent D'Onofrio figures out that he only pretended to kill the woman. And then there's this weird twist at the end where it's like, oh, and by the way, turns out Vincent D'Onofrio is the brother of the kid's dad and the kid's dad actually paid him to get rid of the mom and kids so that he could move on and have a new life. So now the kid tracks down the dad, kills the dad, then goes back to his serial killer house as the movie ends. Okay. I was going to ask you about that. Cause I wasn't sure if I clued in that that's actually what that meant. Was that the, serial, that Vincent D'Ofrio was actually his uncle the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. He was. Yeah. Yeah. And so, which actually is, is actually a pretty good reveal because it kind of makes some of the plot holish bits of the movie go, oh, 
Okay. It, it makes me understand the Vincent D'Onofrio character choosing to keep him around this whole time and treating him halfway decent this whole time, kind of fathering him. It, it's, it makes a lot more sense if you know that he had a connection to that kid at the beginning. Yeah, I was thinking it's the more the family where he keeps saying, you know, we're family. Yeah. And, and things like that. And it's like, oh, he's just crazy. And at the end of the movie, you're like, oh, no, I get it. Like, that's that was actually a limitation on his craziness. So. Um, uh, yeah. First time watch for me. Yeah, uh, I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb. I mean, this may be a crazy statement. I'm not sure. People may not agree with me, uh, but Vincent D'Onofrio puts in a hell of a performance. I know it's crazy. It's crazy to say such things, but old, especially as playing a creepy serial killer type. I mean, who would have thought (laughs) the movie, the movie has, he's, he is the master of picking some kind of affectation and building an entire personality around it. Yep. In this case, the character has a slight speech impediment. (laughs) And that's it. He goes, that's it. Zero killer, slight speech impediment. (laughs) Go. He he hates the world because he can't talk properly. Yeah. Yeah. Like the thing about that is we've talked about Vincent D'Onofrio as a serial killer in movies before. It's not like he's typecast in these types of roles because he just goes in and does the same thing and he's good at it. He does a completely different thing in this movie than he does in like the cell or other movies where he plays this, what is on paper, a similar character, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is completely different performance. It's so that's what's so interesting about watching him is like, how does he know this many different ways to be creepy? Like, it's yeah, I'd say this movie has a much more, is a much more similar in tone to like Henry portrait of a serial killer sort of feel to it. Yes. Um, maybe it even goes a little bit darker than that movie just because uh, I don't know. It's, I feel like there is some weirdly comedic moments in Henry portrait of a serial killer. Yeah, Even this if film it's, completely lacks that. Yeah, yeah, this film has none of that. Um, just some of the interactions between Henry and uh, whatever his, his buddy's name is, I don't remember. Uh, sometimes they get a little like, oh, that's kind of funny, even though they're fucked up, crazy human beings. But no, you get absolutely zero of that in this movie. So it's just start to finish like a super dark film. Well, and it's one of those movies where not the entire film, but 90 percent of the scenes are in the living room or the kitchen. The end. Like, yeah. This is this is a very small set film and it's almost all. Performance driven, and that's almost all Vincent D'Onofrio talking and the skinny blonde dude acting fucked up and afraid. Yeah. Which he does put in a good performance as well. Um, 
you know, when you've only got two characters for most of the movie, it is difficult for some like other actor to keep up with Vincent D'Onofrio. And the fact that he's not bad is a huge compliment to him because it'd be so much easier to, uh, it'd be so easy for him to be terrible in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, interesting thing. Apparently the original ending to this movie was a lot different. So apparently he was never supposed to leave the house. The kid was. And at the end, when he finally leaves, he finds that uh, since he hasn't been out of the house for 10 years, that there's been like a subdivision that built up around that house. Yeah. So I think it's super interesting. I do too. That like all this horrible shit was going on in this house. And nobody knew it, and they even built up like a neighborhood around it, and still nobody knew. Yeah, and that was just budget. They couldn't make that work. I think I actually like that ending way more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think the rest of the story was supposed to play out similar. That was just in addition to what happened. Yeah, I was kind of fascinated by that. I'm like, oh, that would have been. That would have been uh, that'd be that would be an interesting plot twist from and and an interesting commentary on our society as well that would have been added to the film. Yeah, as Noah throws stuff across his room, apparently. I I, I think Char's unpacking something. <laughs> Tell her to knock it off. Quit throwing the cats against the wall. Yeah, I don't know because the the ending. I almost wish it, w- it would have just ended with uh, the whole him going to see his dad and the dad's new wife beats him to death. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Or whatever. You know, it's that whole that's that whole fucking that in scenario is so crazy where she recognizes what the dad did and she's just like, nope, I'm going to d- set this up and. This was just a group of hooligans. Now you need to leave. <laughs> it it happens way too quick. That ending feels packed on and just you almost needed more time getting to see what was going on there. And like I think the idea is supposed to be that he's an abusive husband to her and that he is you know she's like already kind of wanting some sort of revenge, but too scared to take it. And then getting this news on top of that, she's just like, okay, fuck it. I'm siding with the new guy that just showed up. Like, right. well, the, least, real, you know the realization I mean? of he could do this to me and my child. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I feel like that's kind of missing from that. Like, I, I don't know that we get enough of that as much as, as much as I'm sitting here saying, yes, that's what I think happened. and But is it clear in the movie that that's what happened? Or we almost need them. We almost want to have him see the kid walk out of the house and then cut to the dad and the, uh, the new wife and have spend some time with them and get to know those characters, maybe not knowing that it's the dad and then have him show up at the door kind of thing. Be an interesting way to change it up. I don't know. I don't know. And then the, and then the whole so. I get the him returning to the house kind of in the fact that it's the idea of that's all he knows now. 
Yeah, but, like he's. I, but I feel like there's there's supposed to be more to it because you know the the when the credits roll, there's no music or anything, and there's just kind of sounds. Yeah, and those sounds appear to be like duct tape and a few other things. And I'm not sure what the fuck that's supposed to mean. Like, I feel like it, he's is it he just becomes a serial killer after all because that's a weird ending. Yeah, I, th- I think that's what it is. Well, I thought I heard like a small scream right before the scream went black, like as the garage door closed. And I tried to rewind it, and then it just started the movie over from the very beginning, and then went into an ad, and I was like, oh, okay, I don't care that much. So I never ended up checking it. But so I'm just wondering, like, is that girl still in the house? Did he go on back and was like, "Well, life's fucked up. I might as well just start murdering people." Yeah, I think that's what happened. So I think all of it together, like, it, it it all kind of just broke him, and he becomes a killer again. But again, it it should be a little bit more clear. I think. And it's not. Yeah, because the the motivation doesn't seem because the whole the whole arc of the character is that you think he's going to break. And then the whole thing is that even after 10 years of relentless. You know, torment and stuff that he still. Just wants to be. Not not even a good person, he just doesn't want to be a killer, you know. Yeah. And it, I don't know, it feels like maybe the reveal of the fact that, like, when he realizes his dad's the one that put him there, like, that could be what snaps him, but it's not really clear in the film. Like, that, like, it seems like that would be the breaking point for him, is it's like all these years of being taught how to be a serial killer and all that, he's still fighting it back and then because he just thinks one day he can get home to his family and then finding out his family is the reason he's there would be the thing that pushes him over the edge but I, I I'm adding that I don't think that's in the movie and did did I miss so I thought the letter that he shows his dad at the end isn't that the the letter that the killer guy showed him whenever he was a kid I don't know. Because yeah, I thought, because, you know, he tells him, hey, there's this, uh, you know, there's that article about him and his mother in the newspaper or whatever. And then the next scene is the kid doing something. And he said, you know what? I wasn't going to show you this, but, you know, since you're being so ungrateful or whatever, this is your dad. And he hands him that letter. Okay, then you're probably right. Yeah, I miss that. In which that makes the whole thing weird, too, because that that means that he's just been, you know, abandoned there with this killer the whole time. I don't I don't quite understand. I don't know. It's just weird. It's just a weird thing because it's like, okay, so has he been just waiting to get back at his dad all this time? Because that's kind of weird, too. Well, he was chained up. For most of that time. Right. That's another thing, a a bit of a missed opportunity in this movie is when he unchains him and the kid chooses to stay. 
at the house. Like he, he could theoretically at that point run and doesn't. And I think there's an interesting kind of discussion that could be had. I don't know how you would exactly tell it in the story, but like once he's not chained, but he's still helping the Vincent D'Onofrio character out. When does he go from victim to accomplice? Somewhere in there, there's a gray area where he's, you know, okay, yeah, he's he's helping out, but he, it's also after ten years of being brutalized and forced to help. So is is you know, and, and the idea of like when does a cult member stop being a victim of the brainwashing and start being, you know, a perpetrator of it if if they're bringing in new recruits or whatever. That whole idea is interesting, and they kind of gloss it over in the movie. But again, like when you're actually watching the movie, a lot of this stuff that we're talking about now doesn't really occur to you because you're just watching Vincent D'Onofrio put on this performance. <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, you're just, while, while you're watching the movie, you're just enjoying that. And I think the atmosphere of the film really works too. It's like dark and creepy. And whenever he's like bringing women into the house and like dragging them across and the kid's just like there, like just observing, like almost with that look on his face of like, ah, oh, shit, I'm going to have to clean this up, you know? I mean, There's I think of- the, I think one of the best scenes in the whole movie is because, uh, I mean, he's a, Vincent D'Onofrio's character is such a psychopath in like every sense, but, you know, he's got that sense of superiority and stuff that's just completely unjustified. But there's a scene where he's got what somebody's liver or something sitting on the kitchen table and he's forcing the kid to diagnose a disease. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's just such a strange the interactions in this movie are like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, I mean. It's. It's all very messed up. I did find it interesting because uh, we usually see Vincent D'Onofrio dragging women into the house. Yeah, that's just a fucked up visual too. But it's probably Saturday nights for him or something. Yeah, um, I mean that—that's part of what he gets off on. Is he because yeah. the whole thing is he picks them up in his cab, and so they oh. get in willingly. But then when he takes them to his house, they're not going to go indoors willingly. Well, I just meant uh, it's probably Saturday nights for Vincent D'Onofrio in general. In general. But just the visual of him dragging these women in, it's always horrific. Like, it's never, like, not that it should be. But, I mean, I feel like you don't ever get comfortable with it. You just see him dragging some woman in, and that kid's just standing there like, what the fuck do I do? Yeah. Uh but then there's the like the one time when he bring he brings the drunk lady home, and like she just walks in the door, and you can tell the kids just like what the fuck, like I don't know what to do in this situation. As much as he was sort of like, I don't know what to do as he's dragging these women in. As soon as like a woman just walks in, seeming seemingly happy, he has the exact same like, um. Uh, response because he's so not used to seeing this that he's just like what the fuck do i do yeah and they get her in that room and i 
from what I gathered, the expectation was she was going to be the one that he was going to kill, and he kind of didn't. <clears throat> I mean, they both just kind of stood in the doorway, and I don't know if he was supposed to like take over and go in and do something, but eventually, Vincent D'Onofrio was just like, ah, fuck this, like slit her throat and, you know, usual, but yeah, I just thought it was really interesting that he didn't understand what to do when there was sort of kindness in the room. Just as much as he didn't know what to do, like when women are being savagely brutalized throughout the house. I will say this is also the most incesty film that we've watched that wasn't made in Italy. <laughs> is it incesty though? Uh, the flashbacks of the dad forcing oh, yeah, yeah. him right. to bang his you're right. mom. You're right. I was thinking interaction between Vincent D'Onofrio and the kid, but you're right. Flashbacks. Yeah. I found that part really weird. I kind of, I kind of didn't like it because it felt like they were trying to make the Vincent D'Onofrio character more understandable. And uh, it either didn't work or I just didn't want them to make him seemingly sympathetic, you know what I mean? Yeah. I can see that. Like, I can definitely understand the concept that uh, in- introducing the idea of the cycles of abuse, where it's like, okay, so there was this horribly abusive dad created these two sons. One son is beating up his wife, and the other one's a serial killer. And you can, you know, and then the serial killer is trying to create the next generation within the family line of, of terribleness. And it's like, okay, I can see that there, but it just, yeah. I don't know. It it started to feel too much like they were creating sympathy for a character that is completely unsympathetic. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so are we positive on this movie? As weird as that is to say about this movie? Yeah, most mostly. I mean, it's not... This isn't like a great movie. I agree with not, that. Not in the like, it's probably not going to emotionally move you and it's not super exciting or anything like that. But I mean, it's a, it's a well-made film and it's Vincent D'Onofrio being him. Yeah. And the horror bits are good. If this, yeah. I think if the story arc was a little better, it'd be a better movie. But that's that's probably my only complaint. Yeah, I feel like the um, like it's a well directed film and it's a well acted film, and that offsets like what is really kind of a weaker script. I think the script is kind of like like the things don't arc. The ending feels separate from the rest of the movie. The you know, like I say that they don't spend enough time with the characters kind of in the middle, whereas, and, and they're, they're concentrating a little bit too much on the horror elements, which is a weird thing for me to say, but <laughs> you almost, you almost think you would want to see more interaction between Vincent D'Onofrio and the kid and more conversation, more two way conversations between them. I think. 
but like then I say, like then it's Vincent D'Onofrio killing people, and you're like, yep, I'm down for that. When when the kid eventually turns on him, it all kind of works. Um. So I, yeah, I think I think the director and the actors make this a better movie than what the script would be in the hands of somebody else. Yeah, I agree with that. I was kind of curious what she's done since this movie. It's weird, right? She's like a TV uh, director now. Well, yeah, this is her last film. Looks like she made a couple short films and like a music video, but then it's literally just been nothing but TV directing for the past 10 years. And she's done a shit ton of stuff too. Oh yeah. Like she's done a lot of stuff that we've seen like Marvel stuff and other things. And I'm sure there's money in that, but it's, you would think that after a movie like this, she would be given a chance to direct something because the directing is what's done well in this film. Right. So you would think that then they would let her tackle some, some better scripts and see what she could do. But yeah. um, whether she yeah. doesn't want to or whether the opportunities aren't there. Or... Yeah, I'm wondering if she's just like, you know what? Writing and directing a movie, trying to get all the financing put together, I'm sure. Dealing with all this other bullshit. Maybe she's just like, I hate that part of it. I could just go be a TV actress where that stuff's already in place. I literally just have to show up and direct. Well, and and I guess the, the stigma is not really there anymore, because if I understand correctly, a lot of directors are starting to say now all the money's in TV. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, the, it, I, I think the money you get for how hard you work, too, when you do TV, like, don't listen to anything Kevin Smith says about the TV shows he's directed, where he's like... I just listened to something where he said when he was directing the Goldbergs, his primary job was to applaud after the end of every scene because <laughs> you just show up and it's everything really set up and ready to go. It's not like, you know, yeah. he's like, they all do this every week. I just should, I show up like, yeah. hey, guys, and then <laughs> yell action, yell cut and then move on. And I'm, I'm sure it's like that in the Marvel stuff and all that now, too. There's just a machine in place that's taking care of everything. Yeah, it's looked like she's directed episodes of The Walking Dead, episodes of that Teen Wolf show on MTV. Yeah. Wayward Pines, which I enjoyed for the one season I watched. Uh, Once Upon a Time. Yeah, Jessica Jones, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Daredevil. Uh, <laughs> like she got really entrenched in the 911 series on Fox. Yeah, so... Uh, the Dahmer thing that just came out recently. American Horror Story, Gossip Girl. Yeah. I mean, she's I, rich. She's I working. appreciate the fact that she decided not to go in the direction of her dad. Oh, yeah, completely. She's like, no, it, no. It, my, it my stuff. Happened, right? She's like, if they keep letting me have my own freedom to do what I want, look what could happen. <laughs> I better go into the most controlled possible directing there is. <laughs> Her dad's like, you know, I like your movie, but wouldn't it be better if this character just, I don't know, walked into another room and had a dance sequence while talking to a twig? <laughs> no, dad. No. Like, dad, are you high again? 
Some people like their stories to make sense, Dad. <laughs> no child of mine's going to do a three-part story arc. <laughs> oh, yeah, Dad, I'm going to direct some Marvel TV shows. You get out of my house! <laughs> Not only is my stuff going to make sense, it's going to be part of a larger universe, and it's all going to tie in together, and everybody will understand how. <laughs> No, I have no daughter. I didn't realize she directed Boxing Helena. Yeah, I did not know that either, but also I've never seen that. So I saw it like a long time ago when I was like, this is a weird movie. I was way too young to watch it. It came out in 93. I probably saw it in like 93, 94, like on cable. So I'm sure I didn't even remotely understand it. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, what has everybody watched since the last time we recorded? Check shit. Uh, did we talk about Ant-Man? Did I tell you guys I watched Ant-Man? Uh, you didn't tell us we, you watched Ant-Man. Me and Doug talked about Ant-Man. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, my opinion is uh, it, it was fun. It was fine. I don't, people need to chill the fuck out. I agree. The CGI on MODOK was real bad. And it's it's weird that that CGI is so bad when the rest of the CGI in that movie is so immaculate. <laughs> I would also say it's Modoc though, so you could kind of get away with it, right? Yeah, I, th- I think it looked that way on purpose. I think it's not everyone wants it to look that way, but uh, it it wasn't so much bad as it was a, a choice they made to make it look that way. But but I mean I agree with everybody. Jonathan Mayer's freaking killing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I still need to watch Creed two so I can go see Creed three. Because uh, I'm really excited to see him in that movie. I'm not 100 percent sure you're going to need to see Creed two in order to see Creed three. Mm, still, Creed Creed is an excellent drama film. Creed two is a boxing movie. Yeah. But it's but it's a, technically a sequel to Rocky Four. Yes, it is. It's a direct sequel to Rocky Four. <laughs> they found a way. They found the newest way to reboot ever in that series, where it's like we're going to reboot. We're going to do a direct sequel to Four, but we're still going to recognize that Five, Six, and this other movie called Creed exist. <laughs> it's not a reboot. It's not a sequel. It's a uh, I don't know. That it's the meme of Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with all the strings. <laughs> yeah. That's... Yeah. 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 But I, like I said, I don't know. I don't. I I suppose there's like one or two things that I'm like, OK, I don't understand this particular thing. And it may or may not be a plot hole. Like the whole premise of the movie is that Kang needed uh, the PIM particle shrinking technology. Mm-hmm. 
And but in the movie starts with him shrinking, shrinking them and pulling them in. Um. So if he doesn't have that technology, how did he? Did he? How did he did do he that? Need that well, technology. Was, I don't know. It doesn't. I don't matter. know. I don't know that he needed that technology. No, that was the whole plot. He needed the pimp particles to shrink the uh, exploding thingy doodad. But, but he had, but he had the shrinking technology because he shrinks them at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Or did he just pull them into the uh, quantum realm accelerator, which did the shrinking for him? I don't know. I suppose I don't, it's just a weird, it's just one of those random weird things that I was like, I, that plot doesn't quite jive in the right way. I don't think, but, but besides that, no, I was into it. Um, I was doing another podcast today with somebody else complaining about the movie saying that they hated it. I just, I don't, I don't it. understand it. I thought it was, it was fun. It was pretty funny when it wanted to be funny. The action was pretty good whenever there was action moments. Yeah, I agree. I really liked it. So. I do. I do feel like the end of that movie, like, pissed its pants because it had a really good ending, and then they like were like, "No, we're taking the easy way out." And it's like, ah, oh, fuck. From what I've heard, they reshot the ending. <laughs> I guess as they tested it and got a very negative score on the ending, and they freaked out, changed it. Yeah, I, I think it's clear that that ending was changed. Yeah, I was going to say, because the idea of just having it end with uh, either Ant-Man or both Ant-Man and the Wasp trapped in the quantum realm forever. I think that's actually a pretty good ending. In the interest of fairness, they already kind of ended a movie with Ant-Man trapped in the quantum realm. (laughs) That's true. Because if like if the next movie started with another rat accidentally. (laughs) (laughs) It's the same rat. It's just yeah. <laughs> it's, I don't the know, rat is actually like a scroll that's trying big, to control things. They set up this big heroic sacrifice ending, and then to have her just be like, "Boop boop, I push two buttons." Yeah. <laughs> All fixed, and it's like, oh, well, that's kind of dumb. Yeah. And. I guess it's like directly pulling them out is stupid. I guess if they didn't, the argument would be, well, they've found a way to travel in the quantum realm. I don't understand why they would be trapped there, but right. But maybe just opening a portal, like right behind them, like two seconds after the portal closed does make it kind of dumb. And despite the fact that Kang was such a great villain, and and I feel like they did Kang a lot of justice in this movie. I I still can't get off of my position of why the fuck haven't they done crazy Hank Pym? I just there's only a handful of truly fucking phenomenal like Marvel comic book stories, and that's one of them. Why? Why waste that? You've what if got they Michael happen? fucking Douglas like do something with him? I wonder if they feel they've they've missed the boat because they aged the character up so much by casting Michael Douglas in that role. 
Yeah, I think I think that's the issue. Michael Douglas ain't doing shit anymore. He's not going to be involved <laughs> in any way in like actiony stuff. Like it's yeah, just... but the second the second he's in the suit, it's a stunt double, so it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. No. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's the same. I feel the same way about that as I feel about Beta Ray Bill and Thor. The fact that fucking they haven't done Ballad of Beta Ray Bill's bullshit. <laughs> like, <laughs> instead, we got Love and Thunder, which was not great. It's utterly atrocious and terrible. That's the term yeah. you're looking for. Uh, an, four. an insult to fans everywhere. That might be what you were trying to say. Four out of five. Fucking just utter shit. Just <laughs> garbage. Four out of five's high. I'll give it. Uh, man, I feel like giving it a three out of five is generous. Two point seven <laughs> out of five. I don't think I would give it the point seven. So we're clear. Uh, were you excited by the uh, post credit scenes? Uh, well, first of all, fuck yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, d- I do like the fact that they basically pissed right in all the theorist Cheerios because, you know, everybody kept saying, oh, he who remains, they mixed him with Immortus. And it's like, nope, Immortus is in the car. <laughs> there he is. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> I'm excited. I dug it. Ramatut. I'm excited for Ramatut. Well, some people are interesting to see how they manage that many villains though like what do you do with them all maybe we'll see more of that in loki season two i'm sure yeah they're gonna have to find a way to bring it down in order to make them matter though right uh don't know let's see uh it'll be interesting because i mean it pretty much has to set up fantastic four in one way or another because of the idea of the the Council of Reeds and stuff, where uh, you know he's supposed to be a hero, and he basically does all the same evil bullshit <laughs> that Kang does. I mean, he does all of it. Yeah. Um, I saw people complaining that um, they kill Loki off or kill uh, Kang off in this movie. If he's supposed to be like the worst of all the Kangs, like, then what was the point? Um, but I've that's what I was gonna say. But I've seen like like an idea that like, well, maybe he didn't kill him off. Just he actually into that thing, shrunk him down into the core thing, whatever. Maybe that will the the double give, quantum engine. He's, yeah, he's quantum quantum. Maybe that'll give him like the infuse him with the powers that he was looking for to. They fixed his chair or whatever. Well, it's so also it's it. just one of Kang. Like there's yeah. so many Kangs. Yeah, but I think they're hung up on the he was the worst of all the Kangs so much so that the other Kangs exiled him into the quantum realm to get rid of him. Well, see, but I don't I don't think he was the worst of the Kangs. I think the entire idea is that they exiled him because he was the Kang who was trying to take down the Council of Kangs. Yeah, the fact that he was an enemy of the other Kangs doesn't necessarily make him the worst, right? Right. I mean, in the comic books, the Conqueror version of Kang is probably one of the most badass Kangs. 
but but he's still not even the most. Yeah, I, I think generally that's considered to be Amoris, who's the whispery dude at the end. Well, I guess we'll see when uh, Loki season two starts up. So I'm guessing that it's going to be the next big Kang centric storyline we're going to get. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I don't know. This is going to be a this is a really complicated path they picked going forward. <laughs> Did you guys see the announcement that uh, supposedly Bernathal is uh, definitely in Born Again? Yeah, but I'm questioning what the because uh, from all accounts, it sounds like they're gonna the new Daredevil is gonna be toned down a little bit from the Netflix version. Well, they got to reduce the the blood. Sure, but then does the Punisher fit into that sort of mode of storytelling? Yeah, I I don't know. Am I, am I one of the only people that didn't hate? The uh, the PG Punisher movie, the Thomas Jane one. Yeah, no, no, I really it, liked that one. I, I didn't hate it. I I prefer the more violent version. Yeah, I, I prefer thought... like the Thomas Jane Punisher to the the War Zone movie or whatever. Like, I'd rather see a good movie that's PG thirteen than a. How dare you! <laughs> I still stop. haven't seen it. So stop that! I fucking love War Zone. Um, but I would say I'm I not going to claim it's the best version, but man, it's great. I do prefer John Barenthal's take on the Punisher, though. I feel like that discussion he has with Daredevil in the season that he premiered, where he tells them like you, the you hit bad guys, they get back up. When I hit them, they don't get back up. I feel like that's a good summation of what that character is, especially in that version of Daredevil. And the fact they may water it down, like, kind of bums me out. I, Although I yeah. will say, when they did the Punisher series, I didn't feel like we got that Punisher either. So. Right, right. They, yeah, they didn't. What, what I'm kind of, I want them to bring back Bernathal as Punisher. I want him to get just one movie or one solid series where we get, you know. Frank as Frank doing Frank things. And then I want them to set up him as a big bad for an Avengers movie. And then have to do the, uh, cause in the comic book, you know, they're always talking about the castle problem that eventually they have to deal with it. Yeah. And I would really love to see that movie of Boy. all the superheroes being like, we have to stop Frank Castle, and the only way to do that is to murder him the way he murders other people. But with, well, but with see, what's the, interesting, though, is they already did that with, like, the the Ronin character in Endgame, right? You had him doing these terrible things. It was probably the most brutal stuff we've seen in, like, a Marvel movie, and they just kind of accepted him back. No questions asked. So to turn around now and try to be it to, to make it such a big deal that Castle's doing similar stuff would be interesting. Well, I think I think it's the idea of you have to jack up the brutality, though, because like R- Ronan killed some Yakuza and some mobsters and blah, 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 and did some very bad things and then kind of found his way back. 
Punisher will kill a thousand people. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess I would wonder if the Avengers are like too overpowered in these movies for him. Well, yeah, I'm I'm talking more like street level. You do like, uh, well, if you talk to like defenders, if you, they did the defenders right. versus Punisher, I would totally be on board for that. Yeah. Or, or even new Avengers. So you do the kind of, uh, stri- the street level version. I, I know Spider-Man is actually crazy OP, but like Spider-Man daredevil. Yeah. Maybe the thing, you know, Wolverine, if they bring him in. Well, you just said Avengers, and I didn't know if I thought maybe that yeah. like Thor and yeah. I mean, I, I mean, more over. like for the big team up. Gotcha. Or even they could do something crazy where you want you want to talk about something that would make a wild movie if Thunderbolts is successful, having it be Thunderbolts versus Castle, because mm-hmm. then you have yeah. a team of supervillains working for the government trying to kill a quote unquote superhero. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be down with that. Even if it, even if it just wound up being like a Hawkeye versus Punisher, I feel like there's a good story you could tell in there. Even though yeah. Hawkeye and the MCU is a little cheeseball compared to how they could do it in the comics, but right. Uh, but I think that's it. I mean, I'm I'm almost done with Better Call Saul. I think I just have a couple oh, episodes nice. left. You enjoying it? Yeah. It's good. It was a real fast after, you know, how long it took to get through all of Breaking Bad. It was so fast. Mm-hmm. But I guess, you know, it's only got 10 episode seasons instead of full. Yeah, it wasn't a transition period between. We have to have 20 something episodes every season to nah, 10. 10 good. Yeah. But yeah, it's a it's a fascinating show. I don't know. It's it's kind of weird because you you kind of root for him and root for him, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, he's a bastard. I forgot. <laughs> but throughout the show, he's just a bastard, just enough for you to be like, yeah. But I get his point because that fucking Howard is a giant piece of shit, and who cares if he's like fucking up his life? But. You know. Well, and like the sh- the shit with his brother. So the 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 like season after the brother commits suicide, mm-hmm. and the uh, I can't remember her name, but his like a girlfriend character. Yeah, Kim. where yeah, where she's slowly becoming more and more convinced that maybe he is a piece of shit because he he doesn't care that his brother's dead, and it's like yeah, but his his brother like fucked him real bad. Yeah. Like in the idea that nobody is accepting that, that, you know, the brother treated him like shit. And in the end, he told him, he was like, you know, I'm out of your life now. And then the guy killed himself and he doesn't care because he was already out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. Like it's, I feel like, I feel like the better call Saul was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Not that I thought it was going to be bad, but I was just like, oh, shit. I didn't think the character of Saul like had this many layers to him until the show got really going. Uh, 
Um, but I think that's it. I didn't watch anything else. Did you ever watch El Camino? Oh yeah. It's good. <laughs> I thought I had already told you guys about that. You, you might have, I don't remember. I mean, it's good. It's basically, I mean, it's basically like an hour and a half long yeah. episode. The only, the only complaint I have about it is the fact that, you know, the ending of breaking bad, Walt ties that off real good. <laughs> <laughs> and there are no loose plot threads. Mm-hmm. And they had to be like, fuck, we need to invent a loose plot thread bad guy <laughs> to give to give Jesse some kind of cathartic ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it works, so that's all that matters at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, it worked fine. And you kind of get to... The, I thought that the interesting thing is you get to see Jesse finally transform and become like a complete badass for about three seconds and then be like, Nope, I'm done. Alaska. Yay. (laughs) Uh, What'd you watch Doug? Uh, Let's see. What did I watch? I watched. uh, Okay. So I watched the movie An American Crime, which is the supposedly truer version of the crime that inspired Jack Ketchum to write The Girl Next Door. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, super weird because the, the mom in the story is played by Catherine Keener, <laughs> who is a very likable <laughs> individual. Well, unless you watch Get Out, she's not likable in that. It's true. I guess she's just a good actress who can do different things, but I think of her as very likable. Oh, I think of her so, as uh, the girlfriend and 40-year-old virgin. That's exactly my go-to for her. Is I'm like, so like that's who I want her to be when I see her in a movie and to see her doing the horrific things she does in this movie are, uh, is, is pretty rough. Um, but it is a good solid performance and then the the girl, the victim is Ellen Page or Elliot Page, whichever one you're supposed to say when talking about older movies. Um, so obviously like a really solid performance there as well. And yeah, the film works pretty well. Like they, they were, they put in actual, actual dialogue from the court case. Like the whole thing is told kind of flashback from the trial that's going on after the fact. And, uh, so they put in actual dialogue from the real court case and they have like when the kids are testifying as to what happened. And it's, it's not as brutal, I would say as the girl next door, but knowing you're watching a a truer version of the events is makes everything that much harder to watch. It's, it's, it's a pretty rough go and it's like the, the true, it's a true story and it's just such a horrific story that I'm just like, I don't know. The idea of the number of people who were involved in torturing this girl um, is just it's fascinating to me, but not in a good way, if that makes any sense. It's kind of like how like people go back and watch like World War II stuff and they're fascinated by like Hitler and the Nazis. It's like, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying fascinated in a good way. I'm saying like, I'm just, it blows my mind that stuff like this can actually happen. Oh, yeah. And I totally I'm get just, it. Yeah, it's it's trying to wrap my head around the idea that you know 
anybody could find a girl tied up in a basement being tortured and go, all right, I'll, I'll torture a little bit. Just, you know what I mean? Like rather than immediately being horrified by the scenario. Um, I don't know. The thing with this movie is it's extremely well made through most of the movie. And it, it does a thing that just pisses me off where it has like a fake ending. And then it's like, Oh no, this is what really happened. And you're like, no, 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 you can't. You just can't do that when your movie is a true story and you're selling it as a true story and you're using, you know, again, actual dialogue from the court and you, you've used all that in your setup. Can't, you can't do little filmmaker tricks in, in telling your story. It doesn't work that way. And it really pissed me off, like to the point where it sort of ruins the movie, although not quite ruins it completely. Um, just really it, unacceptable for the filmmakers to do that. So, um, yeah, be warned if you go into that because it's extremely frustrating. Yeah, I still haven't watched The Girl Next Door because I'm kind of too scared to, if that makes sense. Oh, that's fine. It's not that I'm really scared. It's just like, oh, knowing that that's a true story just makes me like, ugh. The easier thing about watching The Girl Next Door is that you know it's just inspired by a true story, not based on yeah. a true story. So that's totally different. Because it is like a fictionalized version. But then when you watch this movie and you realize that this is much closer to the, and you're like, oh, okay, like some of the stuff that I kind of assumed was made up isn't, isn't made up. Like it's, you know, like it was that bad kind of thing. But yeah, I don't know. You have to be in the, the right frame of mind to watch something like that. And I, I kind of like was in that frame of mind because I also watched uh, Jack Ketchum's The Lost, which I hadn't seen in a while. Okay. Um, and it's it's equally vile and disgusting. Like it's a Jack Ketchum story. Um, Is that a Lucky Key one? I, no, but I think he, I think Lucky Key may have been like a producer or something on it. I can't okay. Recall because I know he did Red and yeah. Is it the woman? Which is sort of loosely yeah. connected to Jack Ketchum. And well, I think the woman, yeah, I think they actually worked on it together. Yeah. So it's an original story, which is a sequel to Offspring, which is a sequel to Off Season. Yeah. So I just yeah. couldn't remember if this is one of the Lucky McEwens or not. No. Um, yeah. yeah, like it's, I mean, it's, it is just vileness, but screened. It's, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> It's you should probably feel guilty if you enjoy watching The Lost. Um, <laughs> I don't. I I recognize that I should. It's just nope. it's just the story of this horrible guy that just mistreats everybody and the closest thing you get is well, at least towards the end, he kind of gets his comeuppance, but is Noah sorting his CDs in the background? Yeah. That's that's the dog walking across the hardwood. <laughs> Okay. It literally sounds like you're slamming uh, jewel cases together. Yeah. Like I like the assumption that it's CDs. It's outdated yeah. technology you're sorting, right? It's not. You know, it's not like Blu-rays. 
<laughs> Shut up sound exactly my the same. tracks. <laughs> um, so everything lost, else I yeah. watch. Yeah, everything else like it's just it's just vile horrific thing. It's just this guy who's terrible to everyone and whenever someone tries to stand up to him a little bit he shoots them. And the movie just ends with this rampage killing spree. Um, if you're in the mood for that sort of thing, I think it's a kind of a well-made movie. But you have to be in, you know what I mean? Like, what if they were, like, trying to do, like, 70s grimy garbage filmmaking, but in the mid-2000s? That's the kind of attitude you have to have going into it. And, so sometimes I feel that way. Like that's what I want to watch. So no, I get it. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been like sort of in that mood and I'm like, you know what? I haven't watched hardcore with George C. Scott yet. Let's watch that one. That's His daughter gets pushed into uh, sex slavery, essentially by doing porn all the time. I, I will warn you. I'm pretty sure if you watch that one, you're going to find out that George C. Scott wears a, Where's disguises because he goes undercover looking for his daughter. And I'm oh not. yeah, no, I ended up watching it. So I, oh, I'm you did saying, watch it. Okay, I'm yeah. just saying I know what you're talking about. Like you just have this weird moment where you're like, you know what? That sounds like the kind of movie I'm in the mood for. Yeah, and that seems weird to say, but sometimes it's, it's, that's just how like, it works. I don't. I don't know if I should be in the mood for this kind of thing, but I and yeah. I, I go through stages sometimes where I'll watch a bunch in a row. I think one time I posted, I posted on Facebook, like, you know what? Kind of in the mood to watch Videodrome. And someone's like, should you ever be in the mood to watch Videodrome? I'm like, I don't know, but I know I am. (laughs) I'm gonna. I remember one time I was having a really bad day and then I sat down and watched The Exorcist and I was in like a really good mood after I watched it. (laughs) And then I posted something on social media to that effect. And somebody was like, that's that's not okay. Like that movie's not supposed to cheer you up. And I'm like, Oh, I'm trying to start any trouble. (laughs) Could have watched the exorcist three with George C. Scott. See, it all comes back, comes back to George C. Scott. Rewatch Firestarter where he wears costumes again. (laughs) Um, And they're not really costumes. Again, (laughs) The concept of putting George C. Scott in a costume and thinking, oh, now no one will recognize him. (laughs) Anyways. Everything else I watched is a lot more fun this week, though. Okay. Uh, Sure. I watched. Yeah, I watched the 2000 and I want to say six movie Abominable, which is a a Bigfoot movie. Um, Basically guy in a wheelchair in a cabin bigfoot is murdering people outside the cabin and he is trying to warn them but he can't because he's in a wheelchair and can't leave um so like sort of a bigfoot movie a bigfoot take on like rear window if you will um which is just an interesting and fun idea uh to top it off the main actor is clearly like channeling like Anthony Perkins from like Psycho 2, like that kind of Anthony Perkins. <laughs> um, so I, I, I really enjoy that watching him freak out. 
And there's like a whole backstory about how he like got in the wheelchair and how, and that's why he has to be at this cabin to try to like, it's kind of a Friday 13th part seven thing where you go and you take them back to the area where they got, where they got their suffering happened as part of their treatment. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. Bigfoot monster kills some people and like have him like be like he's because it's like a group of like young girls doing like a bachelorette party at the cottage next door and like at one point he's like calling to them to warn them and they, they think he's trying to like peek in their bathroom window to watch them shower it's like all right it's the kind of stuff i can have fun with and it all kind of works it was just you know i'm a bit of a sucker for these bigfoot movies so to see a bit of an original take where you you do something like this with it Plus, two of the people that get killed by Bigfoots are a uh, Jeffrey Coombs and Lance Henriksen. So, I mean, they play like local hunters that show up to be body count. So, wouldn't want to watch that. It's yeah. I mean, it's if you like low budget Bigfoot movies, it's it's one of them, and it's good. It's fun. So, um. You know what else I, I revisited this week, which I hadn't seen in a long time, is uh, RoboCop 2. Two oh, said I yeah. should watch that, and I'm like, okay, I will. <laughs> what a weird fucking movie RoboCop <laughs> 2 is, eh? I have not watched in a long time. It's like, I don't know, it's so weird, because you're like... Yeah, you know how to say it. You've got, like, all the original cast back. You've got, is it Erwin Kirshner directing it? Like, you're thinking, like, so much here should work. But then it has no idea if it wants to be a kid's movie or an adult movie. It's got all this horrific imagery in it. And then, like, a child drug dealer takes over as the um, as the villain. And you're like, I don't know if that should be happening or not. <laughs> like, it's just, it's such a strange juxtaposition. And you're like, obviously, like, what must have happened is, like, the studio must have gotten involved. And said, no, 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 we're going to make this more of a kid's movie. And it's just such a strange thing to have these horrific visuals in this child-friendly sequel to a rated R movie. Yeah, I mean, is is it? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. All right. All right. I, uh... Sounds like I need a break. So why don't you tell us what you've been (laughs) listening to, Brian, and I'll be right back if I can. Okay. I was like, who's Noah talking to? Oh, wait, that's a kid. That would be Doug. Uh, so I went, I watched Straw Dogs, which I had never seen before. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to feel terrible, that's definitely a movie to watch. <laughs> did, you, did you throw that one in with a little marathon? Did you watch a Last House on the Left and I spit <laughs> on your grave? <laughs> Uh, I did not. Uh, I've been listening to the uh, Quentin Tarantino's movie podcast. They they've been reviewing movies that they had on VHS at the video store I used to work at. Uh, and they did a whole episode on this one. And I'm like, I bought that on Criterion a while ago during one of their half off sales, and still haven't watched it. So I decided to hold off. And then I watched it. And I'm like, oh yeah, I feel horrible after watching this. Yeah, the 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 worst bit of it is you feel terrible, and then you you're like, ah, but I gotta admit, it's pretty good. 
It's a good, uh, I'll say revenge movie. Uh, yeah. Usually I would call it a rape revenge movie because the woman does get raped twice in this. But that doesn't 100% factor into the revenge part of it. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that's not thematic to it. No, it's just a horrible situation. But then she decides not to tell her husband. So then her husband doesn't even know she's been raped. So then when the people are trying to break into their house, I mean, he's just like, it's almost like a, a 1970s version of falling down in a right. weird way. Like you saw, you see him eat just a bunch of shit the entire movie. Cause he's just too nice of a guy and people like take advantage of him and make fun of him and just put him in horrible situations on purpose. And he just tries to like go along with it. And then finally he's just like, Nope, you know what? I'm fucking done. These men are trying to break into my house to get the feeble minded, uh, possible pedophile that I have in here. <laughs> and, and I've had enough. Well, it takes no more. And then just starts getting like home aloneing his fucking house to like kill these people, which that part's fucking awesome. Uh, the beginning of it takes like a long time to kind of lead up to all this. But once like all that shit starts, like that shit is amazing. But then you need all that lead up so that you can see him finally just get frustrated with everything. And it's just like, no fucking done. So, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a shit hits the fan movie. Yeah. So good movie. You will not feel good after you watch it. I was just like, oh, shit, I feel horrible, dirty. Um, but to live my spirits the next night, I went and saw Cocaine Bear. Yeah. Uh, which but you felt you... great after Cocaine Bear. <laughs> I did feel great because it gives you exactly what the title suggests. It literally is a bear on cocaine. And not only is the bear on cocaine, the bear starts seeking out cocaine because it loves cocaine so much. Oh, the trailer, whenever it shows the bear do a line. Yeah. I was like, okay, this movie's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) It's completely ridiculous. The weird thing is, even though there is a scene where a bear literally sniffs a line off of someone's severed leg. Movie is not as zany as I thought it was going to be. Really? <laughs> yeah. It has its moments, but uh, I feel like it does get a little uh, not zany enough in certain parts of it. But I mean, that's why cl- I was I was kind of expecting it to be a balls to the wall crazy. It's fucking gory, like you would not believe. So. Uh, if you're excited for that, it will fulfill that that itch. But uh, I do love gory. Definitely not a zany. I forgot that it takes place in the '80s, so it uh, the '80sness of it was a lot of fun. Um, Does the bear have a mullet? No. Several characters do though. <laughs> And I mean, the climax of the movie takes place at night on a waterfall with Ray Liotta with a gun fighting a bear on cocaine. 
Like how more eighties does the movie have to be? Wait, did you say Ray Liotta? Yeah. It's Ray Liotta's last movie. Oh, that's fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. Although I think technically he might have one more thing coming out, but as far as I'm concerned, cocaine, cocaine bear is the last Jesus. great movie that Ray Liotta did. Jesus Christ. When did he die? Wasn't it close to two years ago? Uh, just last year, I think. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they dedicate the movie to him at the end, which is nice, but yeah, he's in full Ray Liotta mode in the movie. It's great. I didn't miss the conversation about cocaine bear. Did I, uh, I was just drawing it to a close, but you feel free to jump in. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know what you already said, but I mean, obviously it's a really fun movie. I don't think there's really, um, I, I was telling Noah, it's not quite as zany as I thought it was going to be. There are moments where it is. And then sometimes uh, it just kind of fades away from that. Um, yeah. I was pleasantly surprised by how gory it was. I didn't oh, expect yeah. that. Gory as shit. Like, like for a, a mainstream movie to go as far as it did was a surprise for me. Yeah. Um, but a, a pleasant surprise to say the least, because it was just, just watching some of those people get chopped up was fun. <laughs> um, it's just, you know, I was telling Noah, I forgot that it takes place in the eighties. Um, but then the movie ends like at night on a waterfall with Ray Liotta with a gun versus a bear and cocaine. How more eighties could it be? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I mean, is it, is it Ray Liotta on cocaine versus a bear on? Cocaine? Well, that is possible. We didn't, we didn't see him take cocaine, but I think you always <laughs> just, just always There's, assume Ray Liotta was on cocaine. There is a lot of cocaine just in the air by the end. Yeah. So, I mean, if it revitalizes that bear because it catches that, Cocaine just from inhaling naturally. Then <laughs> that's what my favorite thing in the whole movie is that bear is like dying, and then a little bit of cocaine is like drifting through the air, and you see it sniff it in, and it comes back to life. It <laughs> 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 uh, was amazing. Basically, basically, says people were cheering in the theater when that happened. I was like, it, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to watch that. Yeah. Um, I did have some asshats behind me sitting and talking the whole time. And I thought uh, yeah. like, I thought like, oh, well, this type of movie, that won't matter. But it got real annoying real quick. It's. I um, I made the mistake of going on a Tuesday night. And I'm just like, I forgot. I forgot why I decided a long time ago to not go on cheap night to just pay the extra to not be in the theater <laughs> with these people. Just so many people getting up constantly going to do things and people who talking and phones and the whole deal. Yeah. yeah. We had the entire row behind us, which was the back row of the theater was all high school kids. And, and they were all friends. They were all real annoying. And someone kept like using some flashlight app on their phone that like strobes it. And it's really fucking annoying. They Snapchat the movies now, too. Have you seen this thing where they like oh, hold no. up their phone? And I don't know. I don't know that much about Snapchat. I don't use it, but they hold up like their phone and they like take images of it and add like filters or whatever it's called. 
But you're like, it's in the movie. Stop doing this. I don't want a smaller version of the movie screen on your phone being held up in front of me. Yeah. But the movie itself was enjoyable. Yes. Yeah. Oh, just just super fun. Any favorite kills? Um, I mean, honestly, I really liked the dude that got shot in the head. Uh, that was really fun. Cause it was just, <laughs> even though it's the most predictable thing that could possibly happen, I didn't predict it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a really bad road rash kill in it. Yeah. But I thought it was pretty fucked up and awesome. I did enjoy when at the end, when they were, the mom and the kids were walking out and then just fucking bodies are still just all scattered along the road from the whole incident with the, Oh, and the, the police the are driving up and the police don't yeah. like stop and like, no. Hey, you're walking away from dead bodies. What happened here? I know it's not important. Uh, the good thing is it made more money than they thought it was going to make. And, uh, they did leave it open for a sequel, Noah. So, Cocaine yeah. cubs. You can get cocaine cups coming soon. Well, they were talking about the fact that it's already been announced that they're doing uh meth gator or something like that uh, for uh, that's the asylum version, yeah. 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 But asylum. They really fucked up because really, if we're gonna do animals on drugs movies, don't we need one that's set in Florida and it's just a bunch of method out raccoons oh. killing people? <laughs> I assume meth gator is set in, in Florida. Yeah, but it should have been a raccoon. Uh, will that be like the piranha to cocaine bears jaws? <laughs> it's like if one, if one drugged up animal is terrifying, what about a whole pack of them? Well, let's not act surprised if that's what happens. <laughs> Let's see. What did I watch after that? Uh, so for something I'm working on, I'm watching a bunch of old Nick Cage stuff. Okay. And I watched his very first film role. And it was for a pilot for a TV show called The Best of Times. Um, All right. <laughs> so I watched this. It's like an hour-long TV show. And... It was supposed to be on like CBS or something in like 1981. And the only way I can describe it is like a really like toned down version of like, you can't do that on television. Okay. Like there's like a kid who, you know, I I assume every episode we're going to start off in his bedroom and he was kind of going to like break the fourth wall and talk to the camera about sort of stuff teenagers are going through nowadays. And then like the whole rest of the show is just like weird little vignettes of comedic stuff. And then at the the end, we would end in the bedroom, like right as he was going to bed or something. So it starts out with this and this kid who, by the way, the kid is played, who's sort of supposed to be our main character. I would assume is played by, uh, Crispin Glover. Oh my God. Crispin Glover in, in an, I can't, you can't do that on television esque show. eh? But 
but he's supposed to be like the straight guy. Like they made him up to be like a normal average teenager. To which when I watched it, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. This is not even close to the type of shit that Christopher Glover would even want to do. There's absolutely no way he was holding together normal for the duration of the television show. (laughs) So then he's like looking at, he's got like this bulletin board with like pictures of all of his friends. I was like, yeah, these are my friends. And then like cut to like vignettes of like fucking Nick, not Nick Cage, but Nick Coppola like working out on the beach and doing karate and shit with his shirt off while he's talking to like his, his his nerdy friend about how to pick up women and stuff. And then cut to like, uh, you know how like you can't do that on television. Like the kids will come out of the lockers and tell the jokes and shit and then go back in the lockers. Well, this has like a bunch of girls like in front of makeup mirrors and they'd cut to them every once in a while, tell some ridiculous joke and then cut to the next vignette. And then sort of the over overarching like story throughout it is like this nerdy guy is trying to get a date for the dance. So he's like calling people on a payphone, girls from school and they keep turning them down and stuff. And it's just a very odd show that I watch it. I'm like, what the fuck? Um, Jill Sholin's in it too, from uh, the stepfather and popcorn. And star-studded cast, right? I'm like three people I know. This is amazing. Uh, so it's just like I said, it's all these vignettes. There's there's a weird musical number in a convenience store uh, where Crispin Glover tries to bring a bottle in to recycle it. He's like, "Hey, do you recycle these?" And the guy's like, "Oh yeah, here, here, I'll give you the nickel or whatever." And he's like, all right, bring them on in, guys. And, like, his group of friends bring, like, this huge mountain of, like, empty soda bottles to re- to to get money for him. And he won't pay for them. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I can't, you know, can't just, like, give out, like, tons of money for all this. And so then they're like, okay. So then they all grab a bottle and start blowing into it and go into, like, a musical performance. It's It's very strange. And then later... <laughs> Later, the group is like at a gas station and they start, they break into the song uh, working nine to five by Dolly Parton. This weird dance number and Nick Cage is involved in all of these. And it's just very odd to see him oh, dancing around and singing stuff. But this feels like somebody went to a producer and was like, I have a great idea for TV show and you can trust me. I have experience working in, in Star Wars films, and they didn't mention that it was the people who made the Star Wars holiday special who have come <laughs> up with their own TV show. Uh, but it's weird. It's like they want it to be like, well, this is, we're going to do a show about what teenagers are going through that can really speak to the kids, you know? And then they really have no, like, no, no fucking clue like what speaking to the kids is about. Listen, speaking to the kids often involves song and dance numbers. <laughs> Well, like I said, it's this weird variety type, like, skit show. I mean, it's almost like fucking Mr. Show, where all of the skits, like, sort of somehow segue into the next one. Which gives it a weird, uh, too much uh, too much praise to, to be calling it Mr. Show. But it's this weird thing, and it's all these, like, goofy comedic skits. And then out of nowhere, it screeches to a halt, where Nick Cage is on a beach, and he's given this monologue... How apparently, I don't know my 1981 world history, but 
Apparently there was something going on in El Salvador where people thought they, the U S might end up in a war with El Salvador for some yeah. reason. And Nick Cage does this giant monologue about how he's, uh, he's graduating soon and he doesn't want to get drafted to a war. And he's just this like impassioned speech about how he doesn't want to go to war or whatever. It was completely strange and out of nowhere, way too sincere for the rest of the show. Cause then cut to later, he's at the dance with some girl and he tells her like, yep, this is going to be my last night in town. I'm going to the war tomorrow. And she's, you can tell she's all like, Oh, Nick. And like, you know, puts her arms around his neck and stuff. And he like winks at the camera. Like, Oh, going to get laid tonight. Cause I'm telling her I'm leaving for war. I'm just like, what the fuck is this show? Needless to say, I did not get picked up, obviously. Weird. It's available on YouTube if anybody's curious. So strange. Um, then I watched uh, Knock at the Cabin, uh, which I enjoyed. I thought it was really good. Uh, I definitely thought it was better than the book because I did not enjoy the book, but I think the book problem may have been the narrator because they had a horrible narrator on the audiobook. <clears throat> but what I really good at the way they changed the ending. Um, yeah, I was fine with it. I don't know. It didn't bother me. I even had to look up what the ending of the book was because I couldn't remember. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I don't, it's, I don't really care. Did they edit what if, it? From what I've been told, I think the ending of the book would be preferable for me, but. Yeah. Uh, it's there, There's a twist, but it's actually a twist on the twist. Like, there's a twist in the book. <gasps> Double and the, twist. And the twist in the movie is slightly different so that you wouldn't know, like, what to expect. Um, but it was good. I enjoyed it. Again, don't know how this reality has happened where anytime the wrestler turned actor Dave Batista is on screen... I'm enthralled by what, what his character is going to be and how how good he of an actor he is. Still doesn't make any sense to me, but it's a situation I'll take. Um, after that, my friend came over, and we were trying to pick a movie, and mentioned he had never seen Rushmore, so we watched Rushmore. Uh, still my favorite Wes Anderson movie. He ended up absolutely loving it. I'm like, yeah, because it's fucking awesome. That's why Bill Murray's fucking hilarious in it. I don't think I've ever seen it. Oh, my God. You should watch it, Doug. I still think it's the best. Uh, I still think it's the best Wes Anderson movie because I feel like his movies work best when you take his weird high-end like uh production design and shit and like sort of butt that up with like reality so it makes it even more jarring and just weird and he kind of stopped doing that where now everything lives in the same world as his production design so i don't think it works that well but i feel like rushmore is like the perfect example of how how that works Interesting. I, I should watch it one day. It's not like I yeah. have avoided it. It's just 
Yeah, it's good. Bill Murray's really good in it. Uh, Jason Schwartzman's fantastic in it. Lots of fun things throughout it. Thought it was good. Uh, following on my Nick Cage uh, watch, I watched Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, Nick Cage literally has no lines in this entire movie. <laughs> That's correct. It's not really a Nick Cage vehicle. <laughs> nope. Nope. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, this is only the second time I've seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I think I enjoyed okay. it a lot more than I did the first time I watched it. Um, I think the first time people are expecting it to, its reputation is that it's just like the over the top comedy and it actually has like a lot of like drama to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, thought it was great. Followed that up, watched uh, Point of No Return, which I had never seen before. 1993 uh, spy action movie with Bridget Fonda. She's like a junkie that robs like a convenience store and then there's a shootout with the police and she accidentally or she doesn't accidentally she kills one of the cops and she's the only survivor so she gets sent to death row but somebody from the government shows up and is like hey we're impressed by your i don't know something or another so we'd like to train you to be an assassin and she says no so they put her to death but it turns out that was all staged and they're going to turn her to an assassin anyway so then the whole movie is her trained to be assassin. And then uh, they send her out into the field like her or just, you know, cover, cover life, whatever, cover identity. And of course, she ends up meeting someone and falling in love. So then she's torn between I don't want to do this assassin stuff anymore. But if I don't, they'll kill the guy I'm in love with. So sort of that back and forth. Um, and I thought it was good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I haven't seen it since like the nineties. Yeah. It was good. I'm curious to watch, um, La Femme Nikita because this is a remake of that and just see sort of like the comparison of what they did to Americanize it. I haven't seen that since similar time. All, Uh, all 25 seasons of the, the USA TV show, La Femme Nikita. Uh, there was only five seasons, but (laughs) Yes. <laughs> uh, all made off the same movie. Uh, then uh, I watched the movie Sick, which is on Peacock. Um, I was interested because it's written by Kevin Williamson of Scream fame. And it's a slasher movie. So I was like, oh, let's see. Uh, let's see what he thinks of modern slashers. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a fun slasher movie. It's sort of like if you take the very beginning of High Tension, where you're in the house, somebody shows up, starts murdering people. Um, spread that out over a movie. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm enjoying this. And then you sort of reveal the ending and it's like, oh, well, that ruined the whole movie. I don't like the I don't like this movie no more. It's kind of a bummer, but um, it's a girl and her friend. And apparently this girl's parents have enough money to have a lake house that they never use. But it's the very beginning of like the quarantine bullshit from COVID that we all hated doing. 
and she's a college student. She decides, oh, they're shutting down college. Me and my friend are just going to go hang out at the lake house, you know, for the for the two weeks that they've told us that this is going to last. And uh, uh, this guy that she's sort of dating, but is kind of not really into, randomly shows up. Um, and she's not very happy about it. Drama, you know, back and forth. And then all of a sudden, somebody who looks like he's dressed up like a ninja because he's all dressed in black. And then the only thing you could see is like his eyes. So, I mean, he literally just looks like he's wearing a ninja uniform. Uh, shows up and starts stalking them and kills some of them and whatnot. But so it's a good slasher movie up to the reveal, which is a bummer. That sucks. It's interesting that we're getting like pandemic horror now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this and literally the pandemic thing uh, only plays into like the beginning and the end of it. So. People are worried there's too much going on. It doesn't saturate the whole thing, but still a fun slasher. Uh, And the last thing I watched, which I don't know if we really need to talk about, but I watched the new Chris Rock special where he unloads on Will Smith for slapping him last year. Oh, yeah. So he's against getting slapped. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's surprising, right? The the worst part of that special, which Mm -hmm. I haven't watched yet is that apparently Ben Shapiro is a really big fan and he's using it as an example of anti-woke comedy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'd go that far. I I saw that that's what some ringers were trying to use. And I'm like, no, did you actually listen to what he was talking about? Because he was talking about selective outrage, which is only getting mad at certain certain aspects of things and completely ignoring the same thing happening to, you know, to someone else. So people need to pay attention more. Um, but yeah, the special's all right. I don't know if I've ever actually watched a Chris rock special before. I don't know if I really enjoy his stand up. I enjoy seeing him in movies and stuff and think he's funny there. The stand up, I was just sort of like, yeah, I don't really care. Legit, I only really watched it to see what he'd say about Will Smith. And, uh, not not surprisingly, he saves that to the very end, and then it wasn't even all that exciting, really. So, yeah. Uh, do you want to finish up your list, Doug? Uh, I think Cocaine Bear was the last thing on my list, actually. Then I guess we're done. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Slow the show. We're able to ruin the flow of our show on our own. Thank you very much. Yeah, actually, he's probably provided the most interesting commentary that any of us. So. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Noah, what are we watching next episode? Undead and Daybreakers. Oh, we tried to do that one before. Yeah. Do we know so where you, the movies Now you know what movie undead is so really? that was the confusion before we couldn't figure out which one it was right which oh. which one was it i don't know that's the whole point <laughs> so somebody put it on the list and then by the time we tried to watch it we checked and there's multiple movies called undead and we don't know which one to watch 
Uh, there's a 2003 one about a quaint Australian fishing village overcome by meteorites that turn into residents into ravenous undead. I've seen that one. I remember enjoying it. Uh, and that's the only undead that I see on. Oh, really? Uh, just watch. So that's how so we're picking. So it's got to be that one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what daywalkers? Which is on uh, Tubi, I think. Are you sure? Oh, Daybreakers. That's why. How about Daywalkers? Day uh, doesn't say it's on Tubi. But it is available sure. to rent like everywhere. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I've seen it on Tubi. Like Tubi has recommended it to me to watch and I've not watched it because I knew it was on the list. So. It's got, it's got Willem Dafoe in it and his character's name is Elvis. <laughs> that's, that's why we're watching it. It's the best. It's also got Sam right. Neill and Ethan Hawke. I mean, yeah, that yeah. doesn't matter. I've seen it before. It's an interesting movie. It takes place in the far flung future of 2019. What? So. This will be able to see what they got right, yeah. which will be yeah, nothing. It's, it is very much, I'm pretty sure, the writer or director and or both base this off of a game of world of darkness. I don't know what that is. So, okay. It's a vampire, the masquerade. It's a role playing yeah. game where everybody pretends to be vampires. Gotcha. And it's all political bullshit. <laughs> I remember seeing, uh, I think uh, people at Gen Con doing that. Right. But then they were all talking with a British accent because of a uh, spike off Buffy. That also sounds right. Like, y'all can't be Spike. Someone else has to be a different vampire. <laughs> Some Somewhere, at some point, there had to be uh, a vampire that's got this accent. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the true blood vampires, actually. <laughs> like, to, like to mix my blood with sweet tea. <laughs> uh, that's nice. I would uh, I would be so happy if I just was walking around Gen Con and heard somebody talking that way. This is my totally original character. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, so we're doing zombies and vampires next week. Then this I don't I wonder what the theme is to that. I don't know. I don't know. You're the one that put it on the list, Doug. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you are, Doug. Sure, I believe you. This has just been too long. You just don't remember. It's, yeah, it's been on the list for fucking forever because we somehow Daybreakers randomly came up in conversation during an episode. And Doug was like, oh, I'm going to add Daybreakers. <laughs> and then we never spoke of it again. Oh, I feel like there's another movie called Undead that I probably wanted it to be, but too late now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At least we're good on this show. We know what the fuck we're doing. Yeah. Anybody who expects us to know what we're doing is not listening anymore. <laughs> uh, if anything, I know Tracy still listens. That's it. <laughs> That's the only one. 
She's like, someday I'll do some movies off my list. We have to keep her in suspense. It's the only way we can hold our last remaining listener. Right. But if we never do it, she'll never leave. If ever, if ever we have to do a last episode, it'll be like a uh, Tracy's movie lightning round where we have to review all. Of <laughs> <laughs> oh, which I forgot to mention because we're good at planning ahead. Uh, the episode we're doing right now is episode 250. Oh, yeah. This we, actually, we actually had a discussion about doing something special for it. And then <laughs> yeah. Oh. When, I, when I was putting the latest episode up, I was just like, oh, oops. <laughs> oh, well, I guess the one we're doing on Tuesday is episode 250. And then I completely uh, forgot. See, well, right I, guess, I guess we did miss a recording week, so you probably screwed it up. No, I guess that wouldn't matter. Oh, it wouldn't matter. All I know is when you started that sentence, you're like, we're talking about what if we ever have to do our last episode? And you're like, oh, yeah, by the way, I was going to bring it up. I'm like, oh, wait, are we ending the show? <laughs> oh, by the way, <laughs> guys, are we done? Like, do I have nothing to do next week? Is it? <laughs> no, the interesting thing, though, is if we do 11 more episodes, we have officially done more episodes of this show than we did on Drunken Zombie. Really? Which seems weird because we were a podcast for eight years. It only did 250 episodes. Wild. <laughs> you guys were unorganized back then, eh? Oh, totally. There'd be times we're like, ah, oh, uh, let's cancel this week. We'll we'll record next week. And then just nobody would talk to each other for a month. And then we'd be like, oh, we should probably get back to doing the show, huh? Oh, That's yeah, you're right. That happened a lot. So, yeah, I was on horror, etc. back then. So we were. Oh, uh, you were a well-oiled. It did not stand for missing uh, weeks. No. We, Anthony can't do it. I'll call Doug. Doug, come over. We're doing an episode. When Walking Dead premiered, he left work early one day, went home, watched it, and called me and told me to leave work early so we could. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, you know what? All right. Okay. Oh, uh, hey, my, guys, my kid is sick. Like, you don't have a kid yet. And then you're like, yep, too late. I'm out the door. Bye. I don't have a kid yet. Your kid isn't going to be born. <laughs> uh, we haven't even hired the girl you're going to meet at work and then have a kid with yet. How are you? <laughs> well, weird, guys. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.